0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to New Books in Sociology, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Rithuparna, and today I'm going to be in conversation with Ramit Chaudhary. Uh, Romit is a senior lecturer in sociology at Erasmus University College. He's an urban sociologist interested in public transport, masculinities, conviviality, and everyday life in cities. His monograph, City of Men, Masculinities, and Everyday Morality on Public Transport, is an ethnography of the laboring lives of public transport workers in Kolkata and their interactions with commuters and traffic police. A section from this book jointly received the award for the best article published in the journal, Urban Studies, in 2021. His earlier research explored the social life of crowds in busy transport hubs in Tokyo and masculinities in the context of men's rights movements, feminist methodology, sexual violence, and caregiving. He is co-editor of the volume, Men and Feminism in India, published by Routledge in 2020. Ramit has an interdisciplinary training in literature, cultural studies, and the social sciences. He received his PhD in sociology from the National University of Singapore. In today's conversation, we are going to discuss his recently published book city of men masculinity is an everyday morality on public transport that has been published by Radha, uh, sorry Rajas university press in 2023 uh, thank you so much romit for joining the conversation with me on new books network and i welcome you to this podcast
1: thank you so very much chithuparna it's great to be speaking with you
0: Right. So, let me begin by asking you your main motivation behind writing this book. I mean, what is the reason behind writing a book on men?
1: Right. So, uh, I mean, I began conceptualizing this project, uh, uh, I think it was twenty. Thirteen, uh, when I was thinking of uh, doing a PhD uh, in sociology, in social anthropology, urban studies uh, broadly, and by that time, I think I'd already done about five years of research on questions of masculinity in India. I'd done a project on sociability and leisure practices of men uh, in, in urban, uh, in urban uh, West Bengal, and I'd also done a project on men's rights movements, uh, anti-feminist men's rights movement in India, uh, and I was very keen to continue my work and research in interest in masculinity, but I also was thinking of how I could tie it with my other interest, and that is city life and especially public transport, uh, which has personally played a big role in how I experience uh, cities. Um, And I was trying to familiarize myself with the feminist urban studies literature. And of course, we know from that uh, very rich body of scholarship that uh, cities are, for the most part, made by men for men. They are deeply patriarchal spaces. They are male spaces. And I was interested to build on this insight, build on this vast body of scholarship by centering men's lives in the city and really thinking about what a focus on practices of masculinity can tell us about how cities become these male spaces that we know them to be. Uh, So, and I think the focus on public transport, which I eventually ended up pursuing, that has to do with a couple of uh, reasons. Uh, One is that, uh, as you know, from at least December 2012, uh, there's been a lot of public discussion on violence against women, especially in moving vehicles, so buses, taxis, uh, uh, so metro, so on and so forth. And also ideologically, while women are routinely tied to stasis, to dwelling, uh, masculinity is or ordinarily associated with mobility, with being footloose. And I wanted to explore some of this dynamic in my research. So that's how I came to conceptualize this project.
0: All right. Very interesting. So could you talk a little bit about your field and the methods that you have used? How did you choose your target group?
1: yeah so this project is entirely based in in calcutta uh, and i do and i did uh, interviews and uh, ethnography uh, in spaces of commuting specifically the auto rickshaw the taxi and i looked at their interactions among each other and also with commuters and with traffic police so uh, in terms of uh, my my primary data source units, uh, so to speak, uh, these were three groups of workers that are uh, almost entirely comprised of men and who spend really all their working hours in the urban outdoors. Uh, so unless uh, they take, there's some really very pressing demands on their time. Uh, typically, autorickshaw drivers, taxi drivers don't take any days off. So my way of uh, doing research, this, this research ethnographically, was really I couldn't really schedule interviews with them. So the only way for me to speak to them was to travel alongside them as they were doing their work. So I had to sit next to an auto rickshaw driver and speak to him about his experiences of driving in the city, of living in the city as he was driving an auto rickshaw. So on the one hand, this of course was somewhat physically challenging and Uh, there were a couple of accidents that I was also in. Uh, I was lucky enough to escape uh, relatively unharmed. Uh, But it also had some uses. It had some value. Uh, For instance, uh, as I was driving, as I was rather riding alongside uh, the auto rickshaw driver, for instance, uh, they would often notice certain spots in the neighborhood, certain locations in the neighborhood, and that would spark a trail of memory for them. So they would tell me that, you know, yeah, this spot where, which we are just passing through, uh, this is something, something very important and memorable had happened. And then he would launch into an entire anecdote about exactly what had transpired there. So in this way, certain locations in the neighborhood along the way automatically served as pegs for memory, which I think uh, really helped me to elicit uh, rich data. So in addition to these interviews, I also did uh, participant observations. So I traveled uh, in these auto rickshaws, in taxis, uh, as a passenger and took elaborate notes of the kinds of interactions uh, and the kind of spatial dynamics of these spaces Uh, on the move. I also did ethnographies of... uh, traffic training workshops with traffic police, uh, both uh, traffic police being trained and also uh, traffic police training these auto rickshaw drivers and taxi drivers to drive more safely. So yeah, these are some of the methods that are used for this project.
0: Right. So uh, do you think that your own positionality impacted the research in any way?
1: Uh, well, certainly. And I think um, in response to your previous question, I would also add, uh, Rituparna, that I was uh, also quite influenced by uh, literary studies in the way in which I did ethnography, uh, particularly this uh, idea of surface reading, uh, which certain literary scholars have uh, been trying to uh, have been writing on where they they are inviting us to look at the surface of things as they are rather than trying to pry it open for a kind of interior that is hidden from view. And And this is something that I found very inspiring while trying to do open ethnography because it seemed to me that many of these spaces of flows in the city the especially spaces of commuting mobility, these are really ever only available to us as urban ethnographers in the form of fragments. Uh, so you will hear snippets of conversations, half sentences uh, that you can't fully follow, given the nature of urban interactions in cities. So uh, this whole idea of surface reading is something that I really uh, try to follow up while doing ethnography rather than aim for some kind of you know, holistic depth as it were. Uh, but in terms of positionality, most certainly uh, the fact that uh, I'm a cisgender male, uh, I definitely had a relatively easier access to many of these urban sites, which um, I think a woman or a gender non-conforming researcher would quite would very much struggle to enter. So sites like a roadside T-stall, uh, say uh, where a lot of these auto rickshaw drivers taxi drivers would hang out, Um, say, taxi drivers sitting together and playing uh, playing cards. Uh, These are spaces that I would say I had relatively easy access to simply because, uh, you know, I'm a cisgender male. Um, And also things like um, stories about these drivers' sexual lives, a lot of body sexual humor. These are narratives that I was able to access, I think, precisely because of my positionality uh, as a cisgender male. But then again, uh, as a middle class person, I also share a lot of the animosity that a lot of urban middle classes have towards working class communities in the city. So on the one one hand, while me being a cisgender male gave me access to this group of uh, workers, my class positionality meant that I also had to be very alert and cautious about some of my assumptions. Uh, vis-a-vis the people that I was speaking with. So, yes, I think this is how I would reflect on my positionality.
0: Again, very interesting. Uh, So, of course, you know, there have been previous works on uh, public spaces and the relationship with gender. But from your own work, if you could talk about the relationship between cities as public spaces and how they become gendered, you know, using a few examples.
1: Yes. Um, so, as I said before, um, definitely I've been very, very inspired by the very vast and rich uh, literature on in urban studies, uh, in feminist urban studies uh, in particular, and also masculinity studies. And I try to bring these two bodies of scholarship in, into conversation uh, in this book. And I would say that a very important uh, insight that uh, that has come out of feminist urban studies is that uh, women's fear fear of uh, violence, uh, sexual violence and physical violence, uh, often manifests itself in spatial terms. So uh, feminists have really shown us how the city is produced as a male space through violence, but also through exclusions exclusions of access uh, to a number of urban resources. Um, And I'm really trying to build on that uh, body of scholarship here in this book by focusing on cooperation. So what I'm trying to say in this book, uh, and certainly men's lives in this city gave me a lot of material to cultivate this argument, that the city is able to produce itself as a male space, uh, not only through violence and exclusion, but also through very everyday seemingly innocuous gestures of cooperation between men, but also across genders. And uh, the, the book is full of these moments of cooperation and conviviality, uh, through which the city scripts itself as a male space. So, uh, and I think uh, another question that uh, I try to address in this book, which has vexed uh, feminist urban scholars uh, uh, for, for many years, is why is it that cities don't change to become more gender progressive? Why is it that even though they they change, uh, the city finds ways of scripting itself as male, as patriarchal across these changes? Uh, Why is that the case? Uh, And I think my answer to that question, which of course isn't necessarily a partial one, is the role of everyday morality. Uh, that everyday morality plays a very strong structuring influence on men's lives in the city. And it also ties them to certain traditional roles that then end up producing public spaces of the city, uh, different open spaces, as uh, inhospitable to women. So uh, I think the book uh, provides many such ethnographic instances where uh, we come to see this kind of cooperative gestures producing the city in patriarchal ways.
0: Right. So, uh, again, what would be some interactional dynamics that take place between the different groups of men in the city streets and how do they shape these cities?
1: Right. Uh, I think, you know, one example, and again, following off from your uh, previous question, uh, one example that I can think of uh, on the question of morality and the scripting of the city as uh, as patriarchal space is how uh, the body of these Public, uh, of these public vehicles, say the auto rickshaw or the taxi, how the body of these vehicles are routinely interpolated uh, through moral terms. So uh, the, the auto rickshaw or the taxi is often seen as a sacred space, uh, which then prohibits certain kinds of activities from taking place in them. Uh, and the sacrality of these public vehicles has to do with uh, the fact that it's because of these vehicles that these men are able to provide uh, for their families so the vehicle is sacred because the provider role itself is a very noble task and again you can see how the role uh, the role that morality plays in structuring the city as a patriarchal space. But this also plays out in uh, in very interesting ways and it creates certain kinds of interactional dynamics uh, between different groups of uh, men in the city. And uh, so for instance, uh, one one way in which uh, these interactions happen has to do with the different territories of auto rickshaws and taxis in Calcutta. So something that is perhaps a bit distinctive about auto rickshaws in Calcutta is that unlike in the other the so called tier one uh, cities of, of india uh, in in calcutta the auto rickshaw plies on a very designated on a designated route so they don't have access to the city at large but they have a fixed route that they ply back and forth on and the taxi of course has access to the, the city at large and another key difference is that Auto rickshaws are prime. Auto rickshaw drivers are primarily so called local men. Uh, They are Bengali men, whereas uh, the taxi driver is largely a migrant from rural Bihar. So these different identities play out in quite compelling ways uh, in how how these different groups of transport workers interact with one another. So, for instance, Taxi drivers often feel very vulnerable to the social power of auto rickshaw drivers. So, for instance, precisely because auto rickshaw drivers move in a herd, as it were, they move in a group uh, on designated parts, they have a certain kind of group power that the, ta- the solitary taxi driver does not have. So there were many stories of taxi drivers being beaten up by a group of auto rickshaw drivers, and the taxi driver felt that he couldn't do anything to really protect himself um, because he's alone. Uh, a, he's a migrant, and B, his, the nature of his work is solitary. It's, uh, he travels to different parts of the city that he may not even be familiar with, whereas the auto rickshaw applies on a very familiar trajectory. So this creates interesting dynamics of power between these two groups of working class men in the city. Uh, you also have, uh, I also realize that uh, the neighborhood functions as a particular kind of resource uh, for these uh, working class men, particularly for auto rickshaw drivers. So for instance, uh, a lot of these auto rickshaw drivers that I spoke to, they grew up, uh, they, they drive the auto rickshaw in neighborhoods that they grew up in. So by dint of having grown up in the neighborhood where they are currently working in, uh, they exercise a certain kind of uh, right to the city, that at least to these neighborhood spaces, that the migrant taxi driver is unable to. So for instance, if a auto rickshaw driver is, is intercepted by a traffic uh, police uh, personnel, uh, he might uh, bargain with the He might bargain with the the traffic police by saying, uh, sir, please don't find me here. Uh, Please don't find me. Please don't give me a hefty fine here. This is a neighborhood that I grew up in. Look at this field. I used to play football here. Uh, Please don't find me here. It doesn't seem right. So this kind of language is not available to the taxi driver which again creates an inter- uh, an interesting dynamic really a hierarchical relationship uh, so to speak between the migrant taxi driver and the so called local auto rickshaw driver in calcutta
0: uh, how do these groups look at and understand the presence of women in the streets
1: yes uh, as you can imagine a great deal of uh, my conversations with uh, with the uh, transport workers was about how they read and understand the presence of of women uh, uh, on city streets and uh, here of course as expected there is actually a wide diversity of attitudes among these groups of men uh, to women's presence um, in the city and there's a fair bit of overtly patriarchal reactions like expecting women to uh, stay at home but there there are also some other attitudes so um, for instance uh, a number of auto rickshaw drivers uh, quite vocally protest when their women passengers are touched without consent by co-male passengers. Uh, And their reasons for protesting vary. So it could be because they have pro-feminist ideas about consent. So it's wrong because these women have not agreed uh, to this kind of sexual contact. But it's also often for commercial reasons. So they protest because they know that if women feel uncomfortable in their vehicles, then they will not... uh, avail of the service, which will then harm business. But it also appeals to a male protectionist logic that uh, she's someone's daughter, she's someone's wife, she's someone's someone's sister, and hence she deserves to be protected. Uh, And interestingly enough, uh, these drivers of public vehicles also feel feel threatened by certain kinds of women in public spaces. Uh, For instance, I heard a lot of stories, and this is particularly from taxi drivers, about women who are supposedly part of gangs of robbers, they pretend to be in trouble, these women, uh, and they ask these drivers for help. And then they have their gang members rob them. So the idea that the woman in the city is a temptress, uh, again, this is something that has uh, come up in a lot of uh, feminist writings on cities, is is also a theme that recurred in my conversations with, uh, with drivers. But there are also anecdotes where uh, there is some form of redemption. Uh, For instance, there are many instances where drivers expected to be deceived by women, but the situations ended up in a way that uh, affirmed the goodness of strangers. Uh, So there are also these stories. And I also heard many migrant taxi drivers expressing sexual indifference towards middle class women. Uh, which might also seem a bit counterintuitive because in public discourse, uh, the working-class migrant male is often seen as having a very rapacious sexuality who constantly desires the middle-class uh, uh, the middle class feminine subject, uh, uh, feminine urban subject. Uh, this is often the dominant tropes in which the story uh, gets told. But in my interactions with taxi drivers, uh, I often encountered a different kind of sexual ethic. So the idea I encountered was, was that um, class women, city women are unsuitable for them because A, they cannot afford to have romantic relations with them financially, I mean. and Also that city women make very poor wives for rural men and also say a, a fear of being shamed by their village community if they were to have sexual relations in the city. So often a lot of taxi drivers end up uh, de-eroticizing middle-class women passengers. Um, so yeah, these are some of the some among very many different attitudes that I encountered of these men towards women.
0: Yeah, I think this is very interesting, the part where you talk about the eroticizing the women from cities. So, uh, of course, there has been the entry of app-based transport cabs now, and a lot of women and men use them. So do you think, you know, that has changed the existing scenario?
1: Uh, well, I, mean, I have to say that I didn't really look at that. Uh, my research is entirely to do with the older forms, uh, the, the older kinds of ambassador taxis that uh, are now very quickly vanishing from the face of uh, Calcutta's urban landscape. Uh, but of course, the, the app-based transport apps did come up in several of my conversations, both with commuters and with uh, uh, with taxi drivers. And it's interesting how uh, many of the migrant taxi drivers, uh, the older group of uh, migrant taxi drivers, because a lot of these Uber uh, and other uh, ride-sharing uh, cab drivers are also migrants from Bihar. Uh, but the older group of migrants uh, would often say that uh, we prefer to drive a taxi, uh, the older taxi, because the body of this vehicle gives us a kind of protection that these newer sedan cars don't have. So the newer cabs are seen as fragile. Uh, and therefore not offering the kind of physical protection from the wear and tear uh, of city life that the older cabs have. So this is also a way in which they mark distinction. They also say that we know the roads uh, much better than these newer newer drivers because they are simply following uh, a mobile application, they are following uh, Google Maps, whereas we really know uh, the interior interior lanes of the city. Uh, So these are some of the ways in which they mark distinction vis-a-vis some of these newer newer ride-sharing cab drivers. But I'm also curious, Ritupan, if I may ask, I mean, does any of this resonate with your experience of using public transport in Indian cities?
0: Yeah, so... What I feel is uh, what uh, the so-called traditional drivers that you mentioned and their assumption that they know the routes very well and others are following the Google map is quite true. Because if you look at many of these uh, drivers, even in Delhi, they'll say that we go by the map. You know, we don't know otherwise what is to be done. We just follow the map. So they're trained to follow the map. But I've also seen that a lot of women are particularly more confident or rather more easy with using app-based taxis in the night because they feel that there is some accountability of the company, let's say the Uber or Ola, which will give them some protection because there is a safety button that you can press on your phone or the map that you can follow So I have heard women talk about safety in terms of technology, that they trust the map or they trust that this company is going to come to their rescue. So it's an interesting Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, dynamic uh, to be found when we think about using cabs that are run through, you know, these apps. I see. Yeah. I also feel that uh, when it comes to uh, technology and the apps, one reason that has aided their growth in cities like Delhi is that you can pay through digital means of money. And in India, we have something called UPI, which makes it very easy for payment to be transferred, even if you don't have cash. Whereas, you know, uh, taxis that are not run by apps, they generally ask for cash. So I also feel that this digital mode of payment has facilitated the entry of these app-based caps in cities like Delhi I see yeah so yeah that Um, also uh, Ramit what do you think is the role of the traffic police in all of these well
1: I think the traffic police has a really uh, interesting part in how the city gets uh, gets written and composed as a patriarchal space Uh, and one way in which that happens is that uh, I found that the norms of heteronormative masculinity really functions as a kind of invisible principle that guides how urban traffic is governed uh, so to give you an example uh, while i was doing um, ethnography uh, one afternoon uh, i was travelling uh, in an auto rickshaw and uh, and as you know in in calcutta the auto rickshaw is a, is a shared form of transport uh, uh, and this particular vehicle was just waiting at a major uh, at a major thoroughfare uh, waiting for other passengers to to come through, uh, when he, this vehicle was intercepted by a traffic police uh, p- personnel. And uh, they started talking to each other and the traffic police, uh, uh, the, the sergeant told him that you should not be waiting here. This is not a spot for you to wait. Uh, so I have to find you. And uh, they clearly had some kind of, a uh, they had prior contact, So they, they knew each other somewhat. Uh, so the auto rickshaw driver started uh, kind of bargaining with him saying that, um, sir, uh, please don't find me today. I have promised my wife to take her to watch a film and you're a married person yourself. So, you know how difficult it is if you make a promise to your wife and then you don't keep the then you don't keep the promise. Uh, Why do you you want me to go through that experience? And the traffic uh, police also started laughing and he's like, okay, fine. And he knew his first name and he said, okay, fine, Uh, just don't do this anymore. And we carried on. So you see how certain heteronormative norms of masculinity uh, really have a structuring uh, impact on how traffic is governed in the city. And there were many such instances that I encountered while doing ethnography, while interviewing these people. So for instance, uh, in the workshops which I attended, and these are traffic training uh, workshops intended for taxi drivers, auto drivers, bus drivers to drive uh, in in a safer way. One of the reasons, uh, one of the incentives held out to these drivers to drive and observe uh, traffic norms really is that uh, if they drive better, they will get fined less or rather they won't get fined at all. And that will increase their income, which means that they will be able to provide better for their families. So the idea is that you need to observe traffic norms because that will help you, to put it quite bluntly, to become a better man. Uh, you will be able to fulfill some of the social expectations of masculinity if you observe traffic norms. So these are some examples uh, that I can think of uh, that, that are definitely there in the book that show you what, what masculinity has to do with uh, with traffic policing. Uh, often traffic police will tell, say, auto-rickshaw drivers that, say, if they overhear them behaving rudely with passengers or say using abusive language i've in one of my uh, participant observation uh, exercises i i heard um, a traffic police uh, a policeman telling an auto rickshaw driver that you're using such filthy language what would your daughter say if he if she heard you <clears throat> uh, speak in this way uh, so again you see certain norms of ideal idealized fatherhood, uh, impacting interactions between traffic police uh, and transport workers in the city.
0: Right. So do you also see the story of transport mobility as one uh, which throws some sort of light on how the relationship between class and gender plays out?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think class and gender, especially masculinity, masculinity come together in very telling ways uh, in the context of urban commuting. Uh, The auto rickshaw, I mean, for example, is a privately owned uh, vehicle, but it serves a public function. And I noticed that a lot of the clash that happens between drivers, uh, working class male drivers and middle class passengers uh, of all genders, relates to uh, the driver demanding that he should be regarded as being in charge, even if he's not always the owner of the vehicle. In some instances, he is. But in other instances, he has rented the vehicle. Uh, so he wants to be regarded as being in charge uh, by passengers. But passengers are not really willing to uh, to lend him this kind, uh, this kind of respect. Uh, they have a sense that this is a public good, that the auto rickshaw is simply a, a public vehicle. Uh, and the use is the use of this public good is merely facilitated by these drivers. So most middle class passengers will, and I think this is because they are bolstered by a sense of class entitlement to public utility services in the city, they are not willing to give much respect to the auto rickshaw driver. Um, and, and they emphasize this in speech, in behavior, that exactly the public character of the auto rickshaw service, which means that they are repudiating this kind of proprietorial claim that several auto rickshaw, male auto rickshaw drivers have on their vehicle. Uh, and this is definitely a story of class and masculinity coming together because it shows you in a certain sense the link between urban citizenship rights on the one hand and a kind of male entitlement to property. So the working class urban male uh, doesn't have the means typically to purchase a private car. So it's only by exercising this kind of a very precarious control over a public transport vehicle uh, that he's able to enact a form of masculinity in the city. So these are some ways in which uh, class and gender come together. Uh, But it's also perhaps important for me to reiterate that here class and gender also intersect with the cultural politics of migration and regional identity. So a lot of the contempt that middle class uh, Bengali middle class uh, expresses towards taxi drivers has to do with these drivers largely being migrants of Bihar with lower levels of education. So if you uh, if you even have a cursory glance at several of the letters which are written by readers of uh, popular English language newspapers, uh, you will come across and quite routinely you will come across, uh, expressions of disgust uh, at the comportment of Bihari taxi driver, his clothes, his manner of speech, his behavior. These are things that repulses the Bengali upper middle class uh, clientele. Uh, And this is very much in contrast with attitudes to the Sikh community, which earlier used to provide uh, the majority of taxi drivers uh, in Calcutta. The Sikh man is an image of Honest, reliable, trustworthy masculinity, whereas the rural migrant male from Bihar is merely crass, inherently aggressive, and so on. Uh, While so, these are very discriminatory stories of class and gender coming together in the context of commuting, but you also see class and gender interlocking in, in. in some other ways, for instance, I also noticed that uh, several middle class women passengers and working class male auto drivers are able to come together in moments of banter. Uh, There are certain kinds of joking relationships that evolve between middle-class women passengers and working-class auto rickshaw drivers. You also have elderly women commuters establishing a kind of maternal relationship with drivers, uh, especially those that they are are frequently traveling with. And you also see very interesting passing friendships, if one can put it like that, between the aspirational lower middle class and the drivers of these auto rickshaws. So, yes, there's definitely uh, a lot of things going on on vis-a-vis class, gender, masculinity and regional identity in the spaces of commuting in the city.
0: And a couple of, uh, you know, last questions. What do you think is the idea of masculinity that emerges from, you know, your book?
1: Um, Right. Uh, I mean, of course, the entire book uh, is a response to exactly that question. Uh, But if I had to share uh, perhaps a glimpse into it, I would say uh, that we meet a lot of gendered characters uh, as we travel on public transport. Uh, And I'm sure this is something that even you would be familiar with Ritupanna as a frequent user of public transport in Indian cities. Uh, And these characters have a wide range. So you have, say, the sadistic policeman. But you also have the sergeants who are very considerate. You have the, say, the lustful male passenger. But you also have the one who's kindly and protective. You have the taxi driver who has the metal to handle drunkards and aggressive characters, uh, aggressive personalities in the nighttime city. Uh, You also have the auto rickshaw drivers who sees no substantial moral difference between the work that he does and the woman who is a sex worker. But a common theme, I would say, that runs through these different images of masculinity in the book is the relationship between the family and and public encounters through which men make sense of their lives in the city, if that makes sense. Uh, So men's roles in the family, this is something that I found repeatedly, uh, seems to have a tremendous moral influence on exactly what men do in the city. So familial roles such as fatherhood, uh, being a husband, being a son, being a brother, these are things that these are roles that have a really abiding impact on men's interactions uh, in the urban outdoors, and also how they read the presence of women in in city spaces. So yeah, these are some images of masculinity and, and several more that you will find in the book.
0: Very interesting response, I must say. Uh, Lastly, Romit, could you also comment on how your book throws light on the relationship between the city and urban infrastructures?
1: Uh, Right. So, I mean, I think uh, the book definitely tries to uh, come up with uh, Uh, it tries to explore, let's put it that way, uh, the relationship between urban infrastructure and cultures of masculinity. Uh, And here it's important to draw a distinction that urban scholars have have, uh, drawn our attention to between physical infrastructures and social infrastructure. And I think the book uh, shows the complex relationship between physical infrastructures and masculinity on the one hand and social infrastructure and masculinity on the other. And I would say that... uh, but to a very large extent, physical infrastructures of the city, especially new physical infrastructures uh, uh, in post-liberalized uh, urban India, such as flyovers, uh, uh, you know, bridges, uh, uh, properly paved roads, uh, street lights so on and so forth, these are largely seen as uh, emblems of uh, uh, as really as symbols of how much the city has not really changed for the for working class men. Uh, so repeatedly, and this is something that I was initially quite struck with, that repeatedly, uh auto rickshaw drivers, taxi drivers would tell me that sure, the city has changed a lot. The face of the city, the surfaces of the city has changed a great deal. Uh, but nothing much has really changed in my life. Uh, my father used to struggle to provide for his family Uh, and so do I so nothing much has really changed for me Uh, even though the city has become more expensive even though the face of the city has changed it has become more attractive Uh, it has become aesthetically perhaps more attractive but my life in the city has not really changed and and here again it tells you uh, it tells you a great deal about the relationship between masculinity and urban infrastructure when you realize that men are reading infrastructures through the trope of the breadwinner role that their lives in the city is really being read and interpreted through their lives uh, as family members, especially as providers. Uh, And this again shows you the structuring influence of masculinity on how men make a sense of their lives in the city. But there's also a story to be told of social infrastructure and masculinity. So if we think of uh, infrastructure not simply in physical terms, but also as social relationships uh, that that play out in in city spaces, then you realize that a lot of the the social infrastructure that is generated by uh, these circuits of public transport have a certain kind of relationship with masculinity. So for instance, a lot of auto rickshaw drivers will say will go into impromptu races with one another. So, yes, I mean, uh, practically speaking, this definitely compromises the safety, uh, both of of the safety of the drivers and the safety of passengers. But this is also to be read as a form of play uh, that, that men are able to perform in city spaces. And we know that historically, uh, men have a certain relationship to leisure in public spaces. Uh, uh, men, even working class men, have been able to use certain street corners, certain neighborhood spaces as places of leisure and sociability and, and, and sport. So this kind of impromptu racing competition that, that breaks out between auto rickshaw drivers uh, is really a way... Uh, in which the working class male uh, is trying to enact or Uh, Sort of exert a kind of right to the city. And this is a city, mind you, that is perpetually recoiling from from their reach. uh, Increasingly through privatization and many other uh, discriminatory processes, Um, working class men, working class communities are being pushed to the margins of the city. So this kind of impromptu play is really of, can be read as a form of uh, enacting masculinity and enacting a, a kind of claim on the city. And this is really made possible by the social infrastructure of transport spaces so yeah these are some relationships that i try and uh, try and bring into view a uh, relationship between physical infrastructure social infrastructure and cultures of masculinity in the city
0: right right so thank you so much Roman, for talking to me about your book i hope that our listeners also pick up a copy and get to reading it thank you once again
1: thank you very much Ritubarna. this was uh, a lot of fun thank you very much